Hey friend, you can support this podcast by subscribing on your preferred platform. You can rate and review and leave a five-star rating on Apple iTunes. You can also share episodes on your Instagram or Facebook handles and tag Infertility and Me Podcast. And you can also follow Infertility and Me Podcast on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast. Thank you, friend. Peace and blessings. Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you so much, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me. It's your host, Monique Farouk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, friend, for tuning into today's episode. Happy Turkey Day. Happy Turkey Day. Happy Turkey Day. Hope you guys had a great, great Thanksgiving on yesterday. I felt that I should still release an episode because I know you won't be super, super busy this weekend. And our guest is Ms. Brett Russo. Brett Russo is a a New Jersey native. She graduated with a business degree in management from Bucknell University, where she also met her hubby. And she wrote a book called The Underwear in My Shoe. It released uh, in September, late September of 2020. And again, the name of the book is called The Underwear in My Shoe, My Journey Through IBS Unfiltered. The book takes you on Brett's journey through IVF, a story of personal struggle and isolation mixed with humor. She shows you that only when she truly lost herself did she discover her inner strength and a sisterhood in the other women going through IVF, discoveries that changed her life forever. Thank you again, friend, for tuning into today's episode. And I love you guys. I just had to tell you that. And I just want you to know today that somewhere out there in podcast land, somebody loves you. And that person is me. And I hope that you have a restful, peaceful, and blessings upon blessings new year. Brett will be right with us in just a few moments. Thank you so much, friends, for tuning in. Okay, so we're back. And I have Ms. Russo with us. Thank you so much, Brett, for coming on the podcast and just allowing us into your world. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So, Brett, so like, how did you meet Hubby? So, Hubby and I actually went to college together. Um, We didn't date in college, but about 15 years after um, we graduated, he looked me up on Facebook and sent me a message. He was living in Hong Kong. I was living in New York and we connected over Facebook and six months later we were engaged. (laughs) Wow. But you guys knew each other for quite some time though. So we did. We knew each other in college. So Um, it was like kind of platonic kind of thing. Um, Yeah. We were friends. Mm -hmm. No, not Mm -hmm. close friends, but friends. Yeah. 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 I get it. I get it. So is there any family history of infertility on your mother's side or father? No. Okay, so were you like you were like the single out one? Then you were the one to to break it all in 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 uh, within your family, then, huh? Yeah, I mean, never crossed my mind. Never was on my radar. Uh, my mom, I'm a twin. My mom had twins. Oh. I think the first time she ever had sex, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was uh, 
never thought, you know, I'm a healthy, yeah. I'm an athlete. I never had issues, menstrual issues or, mm-hmm. you know, anything. Um, so I was not, I was not super stressed about it. I mean, it was just one of these things that I was completely shocked when, mm-hmm. you know, not thinking, no, I, this wouldn't be me. So when did you and hubby begin trying to conceive when after you guys got married? It's actually funny. We were um, living in New York. Uh, We got married when I was 36. And at that point we had gone to my gynecologist and said, you know, I know I'm a little older, I'd be high risk for having a baby. And what she told me was not New York, honey, don't worry about it. Take your time, do what you need to do. And I took that as what she said. So we took a year and traveled and did stuff. And we didn't um, even think about having kids. So when we started my journey, I was already 38, which doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to have kids, but it is later in the game. And of course, you know, I had, you know, issues. Um, So yeah, so that was a shocking little, you know, a lot of times I wish I would have started a little earlier, but um, you know. But you're an ambitious woman, you know, you got to do what you got to do first. I know, you know, my husband and I had only been together for, you know, a year and I'm like, we need to spend time together before we really get on this journey, you know? So we started, um, you know, about a year into our marriage and I really thought it was going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And about 10 months later, we were still nothing. Um, And it was getting pretty devastating at that point. I mean, it went from something that was fun and we were getting the tests and looking at it together to each month getting worse and worse. Um, so finally we knew I'm like, all right, let me just go get a consultation with an infertility clinic. Still even thinking, ah, I just needed a little push. I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to be someone that um, was going to have issues. I still was in a little bit of denial with that. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think because when you are ambitious and you've done a lot with your life and traveled the world and you've seen it all and you've done it all you kind of feel like well this is going to be easy this should be easier than anything else I've ever done and um yeah so I definitely get that so at what point did you go to see a specialist and you were like you know what let's just go so we were about 10 months of trying naturally nothing we had no success at all so we went into the city um went to a clinic and you know, we, I was put in this category called unexplained. My husband's sperm was fine and perfect, which was, so you're, that's what you're thinking. You know, you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, this is me. It's me. It's me. It's hard not to feel that way, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we went, I was in this category called unexplained, which, you know, led me to believe even further that I was going to be in and out of this. Yeah. Um, so we did two IUIs. Um, you know, which is where they kind of base mm-hmm. up your husband's sperm inside of you and make you ovulate at a certain Turkey time. Based or joke that everybody talks yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and, you know, my levels were really good and everything was really, you know, I thought that was going to be it, but it didn't. And uh, we had to move to IVF. Wow. Wow. So you never had a, like, a, I won't say clear, but you never had like a diminished ovarian reserve diagnosis or anything then you know I was on the low side of normal for my okay. age okay so it wasn't like I had a low egg count but I was definitely like on you know I forget what it was but if it's like one to 1.5 I was one you know or you know I definitely had the lowest of my age group um and what I learned through this process is that you know 
you can have 50 year olds that can have babies and you can have 20 year olds that have trouble. You know, it really is um, a person's, you know, personal cycle and they can make these generally generalizations based on age, but it looked like I was further along in my um, reproductive process than a regular 38 year old. Okay. Um, okay. So how long did it take you guys to get pregnant? Like, tell me a little bit about you journey, your journey with IVF. Um, we had a tough journey. We, we had five rounds of IVF. Um, the first round, they weren't pulling a lot of eggs. Um, I was under this impression that you get 30 eggs, 20 eggs, and they were pulling two, four at most. I think my best round was six, which happened once. So that was devastating, not realizing that, you know, I think my preconceived notions going into round one were so, I mean, I had no clue. I thought I'd be one and done, bank some eggs for the future. It was going to be great. I had the best attitude about it. Um, and then, you know, once you retrieve the eggs, and I'm sure your viewers know this, but, you know, they dwindle, you know, you only a certain percentage fertilize, only a certain percentage mature. And then we did the genetic testing. So only a certain amount of that, especially at my age, I think it's only 50, 50 survived. So, um, you know, it was pretty devastating the amount of numbers we were getting. I think the first round we had one that went for testing that didn't make it. Um, you know, the same happened for two and three. Um, round four, I ended up with two viable embryos. Um, and then we went for a fifth because, you know, my doctor had said it's really every two embryos for one pregnancy and I had never been pregnant before. So I didn't even know if my journey was just beginning, you know? So I went for a fifth, which we got nothing. I mean, it was horrible. So we just put it in. We got very lucky with our transfers. We really did. So, so, so all in all, how long did it take to get your, your BFP? You know, two years. Um, I was a little crazy though. I didn't take much time between anything. I okay. was go, go, go. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we did the genetic testing, which I think saved a lot of time. I never transferred an egg that wasn't, um, tested okay. because I was afraid of wasting time for an egg that wasn't yeah. genetically, um, sound, um, which I, if I have advice to anyone, I know it's a little extra money, but if anyone, that's my advice is that especially at an age where your eggs, you know, if you're 29 or 30, maybe not, but when you're approaching 40 and half of your eggs aren't going to be viable, um, you know, it might be a good idea. I totally agree. And um, I think about that a lot going into IVF again next year, because I'll be, I'll be 37. So I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to have to do that this time. I didn't have to do it the first time four years ago, but probably gonna have to do that this time. You made a really interesting point earlier too, when you were saying that you didn't really take any breaks during the couple of years that it took you guys to get your BFP. And I'm sure you probably felt like, you know, I got to get this thing moving because I'm not getting any younger, you know? No, that's the hard part. And I felt everyone around me was having kids. I have a twin brother I'm insanely close with and yeah. they got pregnant basically on the first try Wow. Uh, right in the middle of our process, which was just, you know, of course, you know, happy and devastating at the same time, right? Isn't that weird? How we yeah, you want to be so happy and you're guilty yeah. feeling unhappy and <laughs> you want to, you know, you want their kids, your kids to grow up together. And right, right. you know, it's hard with this process. You go through it and you still want what you want. You know, you want if you wanted multiple kids, it doesn't make you want less 
kids. It doesn't, you know, you realize like in these processes, you just, you know, for me, I just wanted to go, go, go. But, you know, a lot of times it's, it's a lot, it's mentally draining, as you know, and people need breaks. They need emotional breaks. I mean, I have plenty of women that I've talked to that said, I just needed to take six months to myself. I just, you know, and because I wasn't getting a lot of eggs in my retrievals, I think that, um, you know, the rounds, though they were emotionally draining on me, I don't think they were the worst physical rounds for me. I mean, I had the typical, you know, hormonal craziness and bloating and, you know, hot flashes. Everyone knows the beauty, but um, I don't think I was having it as bad as other women that get 20 eggs, 30 eggs. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have to deal with like the OHSS, the OHSS, the uh, ovarian hyperstimulation and stuff like that. That happens to a lot of women, which I heard is really painful really, really painful. But how did you, how did you and your husband deal with together? Did you find it difficult together or were there times where you were like really in sync, really on one accord and just trying to emotionally be there for one another? Did you find it difficult to be there for him? And, or was it like, for me, I had moments of selfishness because I wanted it so bad. I didn't take into consideration how he felt and what he was going through as a man and he couldn't fix it. Cause you know, they want to fix everything for us. So. I mean, that's a very interesting point. I mean, sometimes you're so in your own grief that you forget that they're going through it too. I had a pretty eye-opening moment. Um, my husband was very supportive, um, especially for a guy that has two brothers. He was definitely in sync with my emotions was very, very there for me on board for anything that I decided and that we decided. Um, and that was very helpful. But I think as we got deeper into the darkness, deeper into the grief, I definitely got more selfish. And I think what would happen is, you know, I'm a very positive person and I would say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And he's definitely more realistic, like, okay, well, let's not get our hopes up. Let's just and I think that, you know, we had moved out of New York City into um, a house in New Jersey, thinking we had bought the house ahead of time. We weren't moving in for six months. And I'm like, oh, we'll definitely have a baby on the way. When we got there, we cried, kicking and screaming, leaving New York City. And we were moving this house for freaking Brady Bunch. And we had no kids. Um, so there was a moment of time where I went a little crazy, kind of decorating every room because it was killing me that the rooms were empty. It was just, it was just this constant reminder. I think I was fixating on that in order to kind of deal with my own grief. And one day we were at the dinner table and I just done one of the rooms and I was feeling so inspirational. And I, and I was like, you know what? I know the eggs are in there. I'm going to keep going until, you know, we find them. And he goes, well, you can't do this forever. And then it started this big argument, like, um, He's like, and why are you decorating these rooms? It hurt him that we were decorating rooms for people that didn't exist. And I hated seeing them empty. And he, you know, it was a very eye-opening moment for both of us where we were able to have a candid discussion, you know, after a very big argument about, you know, you realize that everyone kind of gets in fetal position and is trying to cope the best they can, but no one knows how to cope with something like this. You, you know, you know how to cope with little things throughout your life, but this is not something that someone prepares you for, nor is the general public that's supportive because they don't know about it. So they'll say things that are insensitive and kind of make you clam up a little more because you're not getting the answers you need from other people. You're not feeling good about those conversations. So it's hard. I mean, I think that the important thing is to communicate good, bad, or ugly, whatever you're feeling, um, to stay on the same page. 
but it's hard on a couple. I mean, it's a lot of grief and, and men deal with grief differently than women. Um, you know, we cry. We, well, I did. I cried. I was mad one day. I was sad the other day. I was hyper like, you know, driven the next day. And I think it was really hard for him not only to have what was happening to us, but also seeing me hurting and bloating and um, going through the physical process of it. I mean, you know, with the bruising and I mean, everything. It's, it's, it's a lot especially as you get that many rounds under your belt. It's like, yeah, when, do you, yeah. when do you give up? You know, and that was my big question. When do you give up? I don't know. Stop, you know? Yeah. I just feel, you know what, when people do stop and they just, and they walk away without the bundle, I feel like they know when they, when it, when it's time, you know, mm-hmm. they know when they know really. And uh, you brought up a really interesting point too during your um, talking about that was that the general public and family members and friends who have never experienced it, never watched anybody go through it, not knowing how to deal with you, um, not know, not knowing how to love on you, what you need and stuff. And you said that your brother had some babies um, while you guys were in the midst. Did you find, well, did you find it? Did you find yourself isolating during that time? I mean, isolating is probably the, the, biggest word that represents what I was feeling. Um, I was definitely feeling failure and I was feeling very isolated and very in the dark. And, you know, it was hard because people that I always used to go to for advice, they were just too easy to dismiss it as don't worry, it will happen. Stop stressing and go adopt a child. My friend adopted a child and a few months later got pregnant and, you know, all these things that were just, they felt insensitive to me and it felt like, you know, if they were in that situation, I don't think they would be acting any differently than me. You know, mm-hmm. I think that what that's what inspired um, me writing it down is that, you know, we are all, though our stories are so different, the mm-hmm. feelings are feeling are so similar. Very. I remember I went to a new doctor after our second round and, you know, he was going, Dr. Scott at RMA and mm-hmm. he was going through everything and at the end of it, he goes, do you have any questions? And I said, well, you know, what do I need to do? I mean, should I not do gluten? Should I do um, acupuncture? Mm-hmm. Um, what can I do with my diet? I mean, I've been doing this and that. And he just grabbed my wrist. I'll never forget it from across mm-hmm. the table and said, Brett, this is not your fault. Mm-hmm. And I think I didn't realize how much guilt and how much like, I was holding on my shoulders and that was a big moment for me to say, just kind of release to say, this is not my fault, you know? And I think that that was a very defining moment for me and feeling isolated because, you know, again, you, you don't know where to turn and even your good friends and you, you can't blame them for it. They're, they're going to not know what to say. And, you know, you're mad when they follow up, you're mad when they don't follow up. I mean, it's a very sensitive time. Um, I was lucky. I had a very good support group with my twin brother, my husband, and my mother. Um, but it's hard. It's definitely, it's hard, but you're not alone. And that's kind of the other thing that I want to, I wanted to be, this inspired me to be there for other women because we're not alone. And it's so much more common than you hear. It's just something that for whatever reason, women are embarrassed by, or husbands are embarrassed to be open about. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, there's no difference between this and any other medical condition. There's nothing you can change mm-hmm. about it. And though your general health obviously plays a role in, it helps any, anything you, you do, but you know, it's, uh, 
it's important for us to talk about it. No one needs to struggle in silence. And, um, you know, it's nice to open up to other women that have been through it. And I want to be there for other women that have been through it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into this book, this juicy book. So did you have journal entries? Yes, I love it. Did you guys, did you have journal entries that you, uh, you pulled from when you were writing it? Is that kind of how the idea kind of came about in, in one way or, other, or another? When I first started my journey, I was obviously sad. It was, it was hard. And I started writing um, kind of with the intention of, you know, maybe helping other people or doing something with it. But I'll be honest, I didn't think I'd have a story to tell. I didn't, I thought I was going to be in and out and it wasn't going to be anything. And then every time we got more bad results, it was, okay, that's another chapter at least, you know, and I would keep going. I stopped writing probably right smack in the middle of it when I was just too devastating and too dark. And I did have an outline that I kept writing things that were happening or moments that, you know, if I was, you know, it was, it was therapy for me to kind of just let out what I was feeling or if someone said something insensitive or a moment where I didn't feel right, or I had to go to a baby shower or whatever it was. And I kept writing it down. Um, and then after, um, I don't want to be a spoiler alert, but then after I became pregnant, I picked it back up um, and started writing. And, you know, what I did was I announced on Facebook that I was pregnant and I said, this isn't for you to envy me. We had a battle, we had a journey and it was kind of like speaking to other women out there, don't give up. And I went to bed the next morning. I had 27 private messages and about 400 likes and comments so many women reaching out to me. Um, this is my journey too. I don't know where to turn. Um, you know, all, and I said, you know what, this not, this book is not about me anymore. It's about you out there. And, and I knew I had to finish it. And that was just my inspiration. That's when I knew at that point that I had to finish. That's incredible. That's incredible, Brett. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you were like really totally shocked with all of the, all of the connections that you have that so many came forward like that and they were silently suffering because that's kind of my model here at Infertility Me Podcast is uh, no more silent suffering and our focus on the silent sufferer because like you said earlier, it's very common. Statistics tell us here in the US, one in eight. That is very, very common mm -hmm. for more people not to be speaking about it. You know, and um, that's incredible. That's incredible. So how long did it take? talk about it, the more- yeah people yeah. I connected with and I almost wish I had these connections before but yeah. there was something about writing something down you know I was you know obviously had to talk to a lot of women and mm -hmm. a lot of women that have been through it have read the book and just things to say oh my god I feel like you're living my life and that makes you feel less alone to know that you have this crazy moment where you're you know in your car crying before a client meeting you know those, I've been there those crying moments in the car, girl. Oh my gosh. And it, you know, you feel oh. better, you know, if someone's been through it. It's not that yeah. you want that for them, but it's like, okay, I'm not as isolated. I'm not as alone. And unfortunately, when I went through it, I didn't do a good job of researching. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many great groups out there that they really help are. each other and podcasts like this. I mean, I just kind of clammed up, but um, it's important to it's, you know, it's important more than ever to say how you're feeling and help people, you know? Yeah. So with your book, when you were writing your book, did you have moments where, of course, you're reliving it when you're writing it, but did you mm -hmm. have actual moments where 
the reliving it with like literal like you you was it therapeutic for you in a way where you would cry while you were writing while you were typing um did you have moments like that when you were writing it the whole time yeah I mean it was you know I felt that I had to be as authentic and vulnerable as possible in order to make this real and um I had to relive it every time I opened that computer and it was hard, but I knew that it was help. The I knew that the purpose was helping people, and that's why I, you know, it was it was hard. It was definitely hard to relive some of the emotions. I know it was very hard for my husband to relive those things. Um, and you know, it's hard. I know right after I had gotten pregnant. I don't know if um, you know other people have had this experience, but all of a sudden I was pregnant, and everyone expected me to do the doodah dance and be so excited, and I just I hadn't cried. I hadn't cheered. I was just like, wait, is the next shoe going to drop? Is this real? I was so close to my grief still. And um, I remember one night I was cleaning my house like crazy. I just had a free night and I opened a cabinet and all the needles were there and everything was there. Wow. And I just cried and I cried so hard, probably harder than I had the whole process. And I think you have to forgive yourself for moving on sometimes, you know, you have to say, it's okay. This doesn't define you anymore. And I think with the book, that was a lot of closure for me too, to say, okay, this is, this is my story. Now I can move on, you know, totally resonate. I had a moment like that when I was pregnant too. And it was, you know, the 20 week scan for the anatomy scan, they check all the babies bone structures and, and make sure that there's no abnormalities and everything's growing properly. And that was the same day that you find out the sex of the baby, if you didn't know before from PGS testing, I didn't do any PGS testing. Uh, we did a fresh transfer. And so for me, that was a surprise to find out he was a boy and everything on that day. And I just remember going back to the car because my husband had, to, after we found out it was a boy, he had to leave, but I had to stay to do paperwork. You know how that goes. And so I remember being in the freaking car, having a moment and just bawling it was just like this overwhelmed sensation of being scared that something was going to happen during the pregnancy, then um, reliving infertility and the four-year journey that we had. And it was just all of that. It was like all encompassing. So I totally resonate with that. Totally resonate. And I think a lot of women and men and husbands go through that too, because my husband was scared the entire time that I was pregnant, the entire time. And so how long did it actually take you to write the book? Did you have to take breaks in between putting those emotions on the pages? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, it took me two years to write mm-hmm. about another year to edit right. and about another half a year to publish and do all that. Um, so uh, just about four years, I would say about mm-hmm. three and a half, four years. Um, so it's, you know, I, I really agonized over every um, emotion. I wanted to make sure that the words were right on the pages. I wanted to make sure that everything in my experience was included because I didn't want to leave anything out. I really didn't because there's so many emotions that you go through. Um, and I did try to draw out the humor. I mean, you know, it's not a, it's not a dark read. I mean, you may cry, but you know, I want you to laugh too. I mean, there's a lot of funny things in there. And I think that, you know, if you can draw out the humor of some of the stuff, it, it makes it easier too. I mean, you got to laugh. I mean, some of the things, right? You just, yeah. 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 yeah, definitely. How do you feel now with it being out there 
totally no, you know, all the skeletons are out there, you know, and was it, did you find yourself feeling liberated? I feel, I, the best part about it is, um, it just launched, um, you know, this week Mm -hmm. and I, I have to say the best part about it is I've gotten so many messages. My sister-in-law is going through this. I'm, I'm going to get her a copy. Do wow. That kind of stuff is, ha- and that was my ultimate goal. I mean, that was my passion that drove me to finish this book. I mean, I had a newborn at the time. I was literally put him to sleep and just write all night and wake, you know, wake up with him. And I just, that was what I wanted. I wanted it to get into the hands of the women that are going through it. And I think that that's been the best gift like this week alone, just hearing that. Um, so it's liberating in a way that I feel like it haunted me for a very long time to just get it out. It was mm-hmm. very, I just wanted it out and I wanted it to get in circulation and mm-hmm. off my brain a little bit, but um, it's nice because now it's in my heart and I'm able to connect with a lot of people mm-hmm. in my own network and in new networks, just, you know, that, that need it. So yeah. Wonderful. It is exciting. It's exciting to hold it in your hands, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So give you us know? your, give us your website so we can go on there and purchase the book and, and your social media handles if you like. Sure. Um, so my website is brett-russo.com. And um all my updates will be on there. Um, you know, I have an Instagram and a Facebook, but that's you know, it's not really, I mean, I'm brusso18 at um but most of my updates are going to be through my website so um i think you know you can find all everything there and the books on amazon and wherever books are sold as well but i don't know if you guys amazon's at my house about three times a day so <laughs> oh yeah it's like christmas for adults okay i had an amazon package the other day and i was freaking dancing around the house because i was waiting for it but oh, yeah. yeah sure so you guys make sure that you check out Brett's website, stay updated on all that she is doing in the fertility space and advocating and just being a voice and and of comfort to all of us here in the fertility space. And uh, thank you so much, Brett, for taking time out of your day and just, yeah, just letting us into your world. Um, it's been, it's a pleasure. It really has been, really has yeah, been. One thing I just wanted to say, if you don't mind, you know, throughout this journey, you know, don't be afraid to change your ending. Um, it's hard and you're going to have to grieve certain dreams that you had maybe, or, you know, um, things that you wanted, but if you want to be a mother, you will be a mother hook or crook. So don't let anyone tell you that you can't don't let a result tell you. I mean, there's so many options out there and I'm not saying they're easier and I'm not saying you're mentally going to have to get to those places, but I promise you, if you want to be a mother, you'll look, at that baby one day, and it'll be the only baby you're meant to have, whether you adopted or as an egg donor, a sperm donor, or natural. I mean, so don't give up. Just don't give up. It's it's not something, um, you know, if you want to be a mother, you will be. And I just wanted to say that. Thank you for that inspiration, Brett. I appreciate that. And thank you, friends, for tuning in with us here at Infertility and Me Podcast. Peace and blessings.